I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Julie Gould, and this is Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast. Welcome to the third part of our series on funding. And as with episodes one and two of the series, at the very end of this episode, we'll also conclude with a third sponsored slot featuring the work of the European Research Council. In the second episode, we heard from Anne-Marie Coriat and Peter Gorsuch on how to best prepare for writing a grant proposal. And the conclusions were, plan ahead, ask questions and get feedback and these are a great starting point but I wanted to get into the nitty-gritty of the grant writing process and as luck would have it during one of our conversations Peter talked about just that the nitty-gritty details that the grant reviewers will want to see in a proposal. They certainly need to know what you're planning to do that seems very obvious that that's the whole point of the application is to say this is what I'm going to do but actually some applications that I see uh, succeed in this more than others and there, there are certainly applications that are like oh we're going to do this and that and we're going to you know we're going to then study that and we're like well how are you going to do these things and, and is that actually are you proposing work that's feasible is this something that you're capable of delivering uh, and those questions sometimes remain unanswered simply because of a lack of detail and uh, most funding bodies if not all expect quite a lot of detail about actually how you're going to do this in practice so what machine are you going to use for things that require specialised machines, for analyses that are particularly difficult? There might be some, you know, you're going to apply machine learning approaches to something. It's like, well, do you have the expertise to do that? And if not, who are you going to collaborate with? Um, or how are you going to um, obtain the, the skills and the tools necessary to do that? So it's that kind of really practical sort of down-to-earth thinking that the funding panel will be looking for because if you know if you've got great ideas and great objectives um but they simply you know this it's 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 out there in terms of the the practicality then actually that could be something that would worry the panel when we're talking about specifics and practicalities you're talking at a granular level really going down to details of i'm going to do this experiment three times and i'm going to run it you know twice a week for x weeks that are you talking that level of detail Exactly like that level of detail. Okay. And also, another thing that ties in with that precisely is the idea of risk, the idea of um, uh, backup plans. What happens if, for example, you're doing some uh, field work that's in extreme conditions or it's that kind of thing that's, that is it's tricky to do or you're, you're, um, you're planning to um, 
produce a mutant that has such and such a quality uh, as part of your work and and what do you do if if that doesn't succeed I don't think you need to do that for every single step of the the work but you need to think carefully about what is the thing that's about this which is most likely to not go the way that I'm planning um, because the panel will know that as well and they'll be looking for a plan that uh, accounts for those risks and that minimizes them where possible but comes up with backup plans Once you've got the grant written, the next challenge is to make sure that the reviewer reads more than just that all-important abstract. Yernesh Zupanch is the founder of Science, a company through which he runs visual communications workshops for scientists. On top of that, he's also been a consultant for small businesses applying for Horizon 2020 funding. And he said that when you're writing the grant proposal, you really need to put yourself in the shoes of the reviewer and think about what it is that they are seeing. Well, the, the most important thing is that whenever you are you're writing a grant, you have to a grant proposal, you have to understand that uh, on the other side of the, the table, there is somebody who is also a human being, uh, which means that they have their subjective ways of determining what's to fund and what's not to fund, which means that you have to prepare the proposals in such a way that that person is not going to struggle with what you're trying to explain. So you have to present it in such a way that it's going to be understandable. They shouldn't think more than necessary about what you're trying to explain. So I think that that would be the first thing um, to discuss with people who apply for grants. Uh, then the second thing, which is, I think, more more of a visual nature, is that you have to enable what is called skimming, skimming or scanning, which means that a person can look at your page and they can go over it and let's say half a minute and they have to understand which which topics you're addressing on that page, what the main messages are. And then if there are visuals, when they see the visual, they have to understand what the main message of the visual is, what the purpose is, which means that when an evaluator is reading through the proposal and they can come, for example, to a paragraph, if it's just completely dense, flat text, then they will have to read every word of it. But if you, for example, use uh, approaches such as uh, topical sentences, which means that the first sentence of the paragraph actually states the message which that paragraph then develops, then the evaluator will be able to read the first sentence. They will see whether this is something they're already familiar with, and in that case, they might skip it, and they will focus on the parts of your proposal, which are uh, things that are of of higher importance to them. Uh, Then the second thing, I I think it's a fundamental uh, nature, is that you have to get to the point as fast as possible. If the evaluator is looking at your grant and then for the first three pages, they just understand the background, but they have no idea about what you are going to do about it, uh, then they're in, in a way losing interest into it. So what I usually propose is that if the grant applications allow you for um, a format where it's uh, it's not so strict that you start with something which is called a graphical abstract and maybe an executive summary, which means that the evaluator can then just on one page go through the uh, the the most important things about your proposal and they get this kind of walkthrough. They get this overview, this big picture about what's going on. And then once they have that big picture in their mind, then they can use the details you provide in the in the following pages to somehow fill in all the questions that might they might still have to, to answer. But in general, the big picture should always come before the, uh, the details. 
So one thing that that many people I have spoken to in the past have have commented on, especially when I'm discussing this idea of skimming when it comes to a CV, uh, is that people aren't keen on using things like boldface type or colors in in their CV. Um, do you do you think that's the? What is your perspective on using that type of tool for a grant proposal? When I'm writing grant proposals for businesses, those are not as conservative documents as we are used to in science, which means that in scientific grant proposal writing, I think the approach should be a bit less modern or a bit more traditional. However, if there is one thing that I think can be introduced into scientific proposal writing really cleverly, it's bold text. Of course, not overwhelming amounts of bold text, but just here and there, some things that really should not be skipped. I think that's okay. When it comes to color, uh, it's much more difficult. If I really, really sum it up, use color to add meaning, use color to amplify and not to fancify. Because usually people just pick colors, so the color make everything colorful, but this is really a waste of color and it's uh, in a way, all too overwhelming for people when they're reading. So if you're using color, it has to be really, really meaningful. Can you go into a little bit more detail about the use of color uh, when it comes to graphic representation and, and fonts and text and things like that for scientists who might be wanting to use that in their funding proposal? This goes across all uh, types of publications, but... Uh, one thing that you can do with color is that if there is a concept or something you're dealing with in your research that's going to con appear constantly, uh, you can associate the color with that. And then you use the same color in your schemes, you use the same color in your Gantt chart, you use the same color in the Perth chart, then you use the same color in, for example, the, the uh, charts like data visualizations. Which means that when somebody is going to be go, when somebody is going over uh, twenty pages of your proposal, whenever they encounter a color, they will have already associated. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, fingers crossed, all these tips combined will improve your chances of getting that funding proposal accepted. But something else to think about is that some funding bodies will actually need candidates to give an oral presentation as part of their application. Anne-Marie Coriat from the Wellcome Trust said that these are actually a really great opportunity for a candidate to update the review panel on any work that has been done since the grant proposal was submitted. It can be three to six months before an interview takes place, especially if there's a triage process involved. So there is an opportunity to scene set and update. and then to also provide some of the richer narrative around the application that you weren't able to put in, either because the page limits were restrictive or because actually you hadn't covered that when you were thinking about pulling the application together. So again, the key for any interview process is know what you have flexibility to do and practice. And practice with people who are 
used to doing this themselves. So often in the institution, you will have people who are on panels who do interviews themselves. There will be people on promotion panels, people who do all sorts of interviews. Very often universities will have um, the chance for individuals coming for interview for a grant application to have mock panels. There are some lovely little resources on the on the internet. Um, Medical Research Council have got one, as have others, where they show physically the process of an interview. So get to know what your funder is after and what they're offering you. And then the critical thing is practice, practice, practice. And think of the worst questions you can possibly be asked and try and answer them as succinctly as you can. If you're given the opportunity to present a slide or more than one slide, make sure that it is clear and that it isn't cluttered, the usual, the usual advice that you get. And if you're given the opportunity to provide a bit of richness around the um, proposal, make sure that you tackle those. I realize that you know stage X in my proposal um, will make or break the direction in which I travel. If it works this way, then that will be fine. If it doesn't, then these are my backup plans. So always anticipate the worst thing that might happen in your own research proposal. Don't wait for somebody else to tell you, because then you'll be on the back foot. Try and anticipate where people might think your research could fail or could be derailed, potentially. And think about how you might respond to that, so that essentially what you're doing is you're giving a very clear view that you not only understand the field, you understand what others are doing globally, and you know how the experimental approaches that you are proposing um, might work or might not, and what you might do if there's a, if there's a problem. At this point, I want to thank our experts, Elizabeth Peer, Peter Gorsuch, Anne-Marie Coriat and Yernesh Supanch for speaking to me for this series on funding. From them, we've learnt that it's really important to perfect your grant writing skills. But it's equally important to understand the funding landscape within which you are working. So stay tuned because that's exactly what we're going to be exploring in the next few episodes of this funding series on the Working Scientist podcast. So that's it for this section of the podcast, but we've now got a slot sponsored by and featuring the work of the European Research Council. This week we hear from Alina Badescu, an associate professor at the University Polytechnica of Bucharest. Alina tells us about her ERC grant and how she got it. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Gould. So I am Alina Bodescu and uh, I'm an associate professor at the University Polytechnica of Bucharest uh, and I'm working in the Faculty of Electronics, Telecommunication and Information Technology. Uh, I am a radio engineer, that is my bachelor degree that I obtained, uh, after which I did a master uh, in Sweden in Chalmers University. I received a scholarship from the Swedish Institute, whom I thank right now. Uh, and after the master, I uh, returned to Romania and I did my PhD in the same university where I currently work. Since then, I have been working here in the telecommunication department, continuing in the radio field. 
So the science world in Romania is uh, progressing and uh, when you live here, you can see uh, year by, by year things uh, improving. Of course, one has to be realistic. And uh, if you look, for example, at the ERC results, uh, the grantees, uh, you will see that Eastern Europe is still far away from Western Europe when it comes to results. But things are really beginning to change right now. I would say the scientific world is going on the right way. We are uh, hopefully improving and I think uh, those results will show up in the near future. ERC grants are very hard to obtain, as you know. I mean, the success rate is very, very small. I would say that I was kind of forced to apply for an ERC grant in the sense that in Romania, the grant competitions are sparse. So uh, when I applied, actually, I had no other choice but to go for the ERC grant because I really needed money and equipment to do some projects, some work that I was really interested in. So uh, this is how I got to, to apply for the ERC grant. Okay, so the ERC grant that I received is a starting grant uh, for two years and the amount was 180,000 euros. And it concerns detection of uh, cosmic neutrinos in uh, salt mine. It's a subject that I started uh, working on, on my PhD. And I got to a point where I needed uh, to do experimental work. The grant has a very long uh, name. It is uh, radio wave propagation in heterogeneous media uh, and the implications on the construction of a cosmic neutrino detector. We are a team of six, out of which uh, three are postdocs and one uh, PhD student. And the salary covers our wages. And also I have purchased the equipment necessary to do measurements in a few Romanian salt mines. And that's it. I mean, we are a small team. So the ultimate goal of a neutrino detector in a salt mine would be to trace the highest energetic sources in this universe, which could be supermassive black holes or uh, gamma ray burst or anything extremely energetic. As a general comment, you can do that by observing the source, well, let's say pointing your radio telescope towards that source, or you can observe it indirectly. And one such uh, method to study energetic sources is to observe and measure what they product. One of the products that we are interested in are neutrinos. And why is that? Um, neutrinos are some particles which can travel the universe without being deflected by the magnetic field. So if they travel in a straight line, let's say, if one detects a neutrino on Earth and uh, reconstruct the direction, we will know for sure that, that in that direction we have a high energetic source. So one needs a huge volume of high-density material just to enhance the interaction of the neutrino. And one such medium is a salt reservoir, a salt mine. That when a neutrino will interact in a salt mine, it will produce a radio wave. Because uh, uh, salt allows propagation of radio waves on large distances. And we need that. We need propagation on large distances 
because we need more detectors to measure the same radio signal. And once we have more radio stations which uh, uh, detect the same radio signal, we can reconstruct the direction where a high energetic source is. So location of a supermassive black hole. So it's kind of an astronomy done with the detection of neutrinos. And uh, nowadays, it's, uh, uh, as far as I know, we are the only group in, uh, in Europe who, which is studying the detection of cosmic neutrinos in salt mine. The universe is formed by many black holes and black holes, very massive black holes, are of interest because people are ultimately interested in, in the evolution and uh, what's the universe made from. So I wrote the proposal in 2015 and uh, I think in um, April 2016 I received an email in which I was uh, informed that uh, my grant passed the first evaluating stage and that I will be invited in Brussels for an interview for the second step. I, I think it was in June when I uh, went to Brussels uh, for the interview and I had to present my, uh, my project to the reviewers. And after that, I waited for two more months, I think. And in, uh, in August, I received a congratulating email uh, in which I have been announced that my grant uh, will be financed. I read the email and I couldn't believe it. It felt really, really good. I, I mean, it, uh, I was more than surprised. To be honest, I didn't expect to, to receive the grant because of the high competition. So uh, anyway, I was very, very happy. Well, as I always say, if you don't apply, you will not get the grant. Well, the first step in obtaining the grant is to apply for a grant. And uh, as hard as it may sound, it's not impossible. I mean, uh, um, if I could do it, anybody can. So <laughs> I would advise uh, as many researchers to apply for it. I would advise Romanian researchers to apply for it. And uh, uh, in Romania, for example, uh, if you pass the first uh, evaluating stage, but you, uh, your project is not financed, the state, the Romanian state, will give you, uh, I think, half of the uh, money that you applied for initially to do this project. And of course, this is a measure to, to encourage uh, application for such grants. So, um, good luck, everybody. <laughs> deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.